This is Frameform. Hello, and welcome to Season 3 of Frameform. We are thrilled to be surfing the waveforms again and dissecting movies, moving, and everything in between. This first episode is a recap of sorts from our off-season. This past April, Claire and I attended the Screendance State of the Art Symposium at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. It was facilitated by Screendance artist and academic Douglas Rosenberg. Screendance State of the Art gathers creators, researchers, and enthusiasts alike to share their insight into the many facets of the form. This event was last held over a decade ago, so we were grateful to have the opportunity to connect with the global Screendance community and participate in a few ways. Jen and I represented Frameform in a panel discussion called Crafting Diverse Screendance Audiences. We participated in this discussion along with Robin G. of the Greensboro Dance Film Festival, Jennifer Scully Thurston, also known as Rogue Dancer, and Autumn Mist Belk, whose awesome program Film Art Dance is now called Screen Dance in Schools. Autumn curated and facilitated this panel discussion, and we'd like to thank her again now for inviting Frameform to participate. Here is an excerpt of that presentation. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, so I am Autumnist Belk, and this panel is about crafting a diverse screen dance audience. And I'll say, first off, we do not have all the answers. Um, so if you're hoping to just write down, oh, this is how I get a giant audience, um, we don't have the answers. But <laughs> I did pull together this panel um, of folks because I think everyone here is doing something that is a little unique to try and get different audience to see this work. And so each one of our panelists is going to introduce themselves as we jump into our first question, um, because we do tend to like to talk about this. And our first Zoom meeting to try and go through um, got completely sidetracked. So if you see us um, pushing this little iPad, it's a timer for us to kind of keep us on track a little bit. Um, so. As I said, my name is Autumn Mistbelk, and in this realm of screen dance, presenting, facilitating, um, I direct FAD collections, film art dance collections, what will soon over the summer be rebranded as Screen Dance in Schools, which I think is a little more clear. Um, we put together programs of screen dances along with lesson plans to go into K through 12 classrooms. And Really my impetus for that was thinking where do we have both a captive audience um, and also directing a live performance company that used to go into schools. I noticed how receptive the students were even when sometimes the administrators or teachers always weren't so receptive. Um, so I thought, you know, if we can get students watching these screen dances and interacting with them and talking about them and moving with them and writing about them and doing all these different projects, now we have folks who grow up knowing about the field and what it is. And so um, as we go down in our introduction, I'm asking our panelists to introduce themselves and talk about what they do in this realm of screen dance and audience building, and also maybe what is your why? Why did you decide to do this? And what audiences are you reaching currently? So I think I covered that with mine. So I'm gonna pass it on. Great. Hi everyone, my name 
is Claire Schweitzer, she, they. And uh, what do I do? <laughs> you have quite the hat collection. I, have, I wear a lot of hats at the intersection of dance and film. So I am a freelance dancer. I uh, occasionally choreograph. I'm also a performance videographer. I'm an editor. I work part-time for the San Francisco Dance Film Festival. I'm a guest jury member at uh, Cascadia and among other festivals. So, um, so yeah, there's a... Oh, and I also am a co-host on Frame Time, which <laughs> like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the thing that I'm mostly here for. <laughs> so, um, so, I've been involved in um, screen dance for about 10 years and very much came into it um, as many people do somewhat accidentally. I first started working as an intern for the San Francisco Dance Film Festival during a huge <clears throat> blockbuster year when they collaborated with the IMZ. And I was very interested in the way that the festival was structured to give audiences sort of a, um, a choose your own adventure way of experiencing this event and experiencing this form. So it was through this series of panels and this series of talkbacks that uh, an audience could contextualize the work that they were seeing and gain um, a deeper appreciation of that. And it was also at this event where I really found my why for screen dance. Um, there was a special screening, um, some of you may have seen it, of the film Well Contested Sites, which was a collaboration between Austin Forbord and Amy Dowling. Now, some of you may have seen separate sentences on the festival circuit a few years ago, but essentially what their research, um, what their research surrounds is um, the uh, issue of over-incarceration and um, really uh, bringing that to the fore. And during this panel, the, Amy beautifully said, um, so you see many documentaries that are very much like these talking heads and they're you know very much explaining with words what um why you should care about this issue but here is a film you see a body that's confined you see a, a body whose potential is being squandered and kinesthetically you can reach an audience in that way and that really was my why hi <laughs> hi sorry um so my name is uh, robin chi i am yeah lots of things Lots of things and lots of spaces. Um, I have uh, founded a small, what I call, boutique uh, film festival. I think that's my sort of role in this exercise a bit. Um, I teach screen dance. I, I live in the body, but I have a small um, uh, film festival located in Greensboro, North Carolina, um, in which we sort of screen film from all over the world. Uh, my why? Why Why not? I mean, I kind of tend to occupy spaces um, in ways that um, are meaningful to me. I'm really interested in representation and um, providing space for people who otherwise would not be included in sort of these modalities. So um, my film festival is sort of small um, intentionally. Um, and so the idea of how we look at building audiences is slightly different. It's not necessarily hierarchic, but it's sort of lateral thinking. Um, why for this work? Did I answer it? Why? That's sort of my why. Um, what audiences am I reaching currently? You know, 
they're probably less academic and much more community-based. So the work that I'm doing is taking, um, is taking the work out into my community, into schools, um, and into more into Greensboro. It's more, it's sort of interested in outreach um, as opposed to screening. And the formula for screening for me is one that doesn't trans, doesn't sort of subscribe to film festivals, but we do like progressive parties and things like that. So that's us. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Jennifer Scully Thurston. And I also wear a lot of hats. Um, <laughs> I'm a maker. Um, I find my community that way. I, I found in my later life uh, a sense of kind of satisfaction with making work. Uh, my personal goal is to make a film a year, whether regardless of budget, regard, regardless of money, but to, you know, I've taken hundreds of dollars out of my own pocket to pay my collaborators. Um, I am also, and I do all that under the um, moniker of Rogue Dancer Productions. Um, I'm also a, I was the founder and curator for Encore Dance on Screen in Atlanta, Georgia. I've, I've adjudicated many film festivals, dance and non-dance festivals. And, um, and today, and I started in October 2019, I thought at the time <laughs> there, was, there, there, was a, there was an empty space uh, for, dance, for dance on the internet, for dance accept, uh, accessible uh, via digital media, and I started Film Fest by Rogue Dancer, which is a monthly thematic um, dance screening. Uh, I generally do it at the last two weeks of every month, and when I get films, I kind of sort them into emerging themes and categories, and uh, it's kind of an ongoing process. Um, and when I get to that month, I have everything sorted out by month, and when I get to that month, um, you know, my goal was to make these um, kind of poetic groupings of films, and I, I thought that that was gonna be harder than it actually is. As I sort, they kind of sort themselves, and we end up with a really, really lovely cross-section of, you know, just films from all over the world. And uh, I'm always very shocked by where all the films are coming from and how diverse they are, and um, I'm very proud of it. So it's an ongoing thing, so, and I want all of your films, old films, new films, medium films, everything. The why for me is a very personal journey, um, and I'll share with you that I uh, found myself kind of nearing 40 years old, uh, alone with two children and not having danced in many years. And um, I kind of, you know, my whole life I was kind of frustrated by being a performer and not having, you know, my, my loved ones not actually making it to the comp you know, performances and not actually getting, getting to see the, the hard work that I was putting into what I was doing. So part of the why is the audience, um, generating audiences. Um, and, you know, I, I had a friend, like a friend of mine started feeding me a, a couple of dance films and I was like, oh, that, that's it. That's, that's, that's the way I'll be able to make work on my own time, in my own life, with my children and my family and in weird places in the world and I'm able to make work. So it really saved my life, quite frankly, if you want to know the truth. So I'm indebted forever to Screen Dance and um, my Screen Dance collaborators. And I'll pass it on. Well, welcome to the club. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jen Ray. I am from Vancouver, BC, Canada. I now live in Washington, DC because I screened my film at Kugloris Festival and fell in love with a tap dancer. 
So now I live here. Um, so I'm what you call a third culture kid. So I'm a child of immigrants, and my parents, uh, you know, my family's from all over the world. Well, not all over, not, you know, Brazil, South Africa mostly. And for me, I just grew up really loving culture and music and media and finding those universal languages and being able to communicate and also experience other parts of the world without physically going there. Um, as a producer, I enjoy it so much more than if I were to bring in a whole dance company and deal with, you know, as much as it's great to have real live people, it's a lot less overwhelming to be like, let me drop this screening file in the order. And then as long as it doesn't glitch, the screening's gonna be fine. Um, so my anxiety likes that a lot. Um, I'll, I'll spare you like all my uh, meanderings and stuff and just try and like hit on some main things, but um, I've always loved dance and tech. Um, um, I think my earliest dance I can remember was in the early 90s. It was a single take. Um, my mom was behind the camera and it was a music video to Jenny from the Block. <laughs> so I remember like on the panel, she, Amari's like, well, you can just hire like a camera operator. It's like, so I hired my mom. Um, <laughs> so I've always been interested in this and just been like a self-starter and very experimental. Um, I've always, I've grew up dancing and loving dance and doing all sorts of kinds of dance. Um, and just taking an interest in what I could possibly do um, with these things and how I could actually make a career out of it and not have to sit at a desk all the time, even though I still do that, but at least it's my desk. Um, <laughs> so I just really have enjoyed connecting with the international dance film community and all different ways that we can do it. So I do produce, um, now it's one a year because I'm no longer insane, but I used to produce two festivals a year because I was living in Washington, D.C., but from Vancouver, and you know how it is. Your heart is in your hometown. It was like, I wanted to bring dance film to Vancouver, so I, I did start a festival there that, unfortunately, due to COVID, I've not been able to host for three years and counting, but eventually we'll get back there. Um, if you want to read my manifesto for that, Claire's actually wearing the shirt for Cascadia, so you can just, like, take a peek at her back later. Um, I'll spare you, like, reading the whole, reading the whole thing now. Um, but yeah, I very much just started my festival with my credit cards as an immigrant and like trying to make it work and so grateful to be here and like connect with people I've only met through the internet, <laughs> um, you know, and just be able to talk about what we do. And as far as the why goes, I mean, I teach, I teach kids, that's like my main J-O-B, um, and I love it. I love teaching dance and I work with an organization, Youth Protection Advocates of Dance, and we do a lot of, um, you know, standards, particularly with safety and, and sexualization, things like that. And for me, I think with dance, you have a spectrum of exploitation to empowerment. And I think when you have no agency, you're being exploited, you're a vessel for someone else. And when you're empowered, obviously, it's the opposite. It's, it's self-driven. And I find that screen dance allows a little bit more potential for that empowerment in some way. I've just really enjoyed this kind of sector of dance. So I think that's my why is, elevating dance and showing that, I mean, Kara mentioned yesterday, like, we gotta look at the gaming community, like, look yes. at the sports community as well. You know, gaming and sports, it's follow the money, right? <laughs> so it's like, I, I'm just very interested to investigate those overlaps, and yeah. So um, our first big question for the panel is what strategies have you implemented for pulling in new audiences? And I'll preface this first by saying I think we've all been to festival screenings and looked around and said, wow, where is everyone? <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and my festival started as a live 
in a movie theater, come bring people in, and you know, you're sitting there going, okay, 11, 12, 13, you know, here are your people. And um, even going to bigger festivals and saying, wow, if they can't get the people here, what chance do I have in Cary, North Carolina? Um, and so that's kind of what started the, well, let's look at how to get more audience in here. And honestly, personally, I got frustrated with continually inviting people to things and then having to explain what screen dance or dance film is. And I think we all know that's really hard. Um, I felt like it's coming up as a modern dancer. It's the same as when someone goes, oh, what type of dance do you do? And you say modern, and then you're like, oh, great. Okay. <laughs> explain what modern dance is. Um, so it's the same, same thing, having to explain what screen dance is. And even as a field, I'm not sure that we have a real great elevator pitch of what that is, because I feel like it's really yes and, yes and. It is that and it's this, it's, it is that and it's something else. Um, and so that's what started me on, it's the education. Um, educating people on what the field is and how to get in to it. That it's not gonna be like some highbrow modern dance concerts that people go to and go, well I just didn't get it and it's not for me. Um, giving people a way in to understand what they're seeing and to interact with it. And so that's why I added this educational component um, and brought in, here are lesson plans. We can connect to dance classes in the schools. We can connect to poetry class. We can connect to history. We don't have a lot of films yet that are connecting to math and science, but that is hopefully where we can grow. Um, <laughs> great, we've just found some. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that is, if we can start to educate from the kids what this field is, now we have audience and we have more folks to participate in the, in the field. And kids usually bring their parents to stuff because <laughs> otherwise they aren't gonna get there. Um, but I'll, I'll continue on and let, let Claire um, so before I address this question directly, I do want to um, shout out uh, Hannah Weber, who is a Frameform colleague who was unable to be here uh, this weekend. Um, it is actually just her birthday a few days ago, so everybody on Zoom wish her happy birthday. But um, the idea of a podcast has been in her, had been in her brain space for quite a few years, and quite a few years preceding COVID as well. And one of the reasons for this is um, she, and like many, many other um, dance film screen dance practitioners, weren't able to go to events where dance film was being seen or where people were meeting to discuss dance film. And thus, we're kind of feeling left out of the conversation. And I think it's worth noting that a lot of these spaces, especially if you're thinking in terms of the U.S., um, because in Europe, even if you, you can go, I wouldn't say it's you know, completely easy, you still have to deal with Ryanair and EasyJet and all those terrible, uh, well, wonderfully cheap but terribly run airlines, but um, when it comes to the U.S., um, you, there's a lot of distance to cover when it comes to attending um, events in person. So um, her idea was to create a podcast um, 
not only to bring conversations that were happening at these events to a wider audience, but also as a way to co uh, continue the conversation. Uh, conversations and ideas that were started at events like this, but sometimes were uh, discreetly left at these uh, kinds of events and not really revisited until the next one. So each, um, each season, we um, are currently in planning for season three. Um, Hannah really, um, she uses the term curriculum to lay out the season. So this really is a way of educating audiences through a variety of frames that relate to them about this form. So the typical episode structure is we usually curate three films and we um, discuss a certain topic about those three films. So sometimes we'll, we'll focus topics on um, warehouses. Why? How? And how are they used? How can they use? It's still one of the best episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Such a blast. But we'll also take a look at pop culture. We also had a, um, I think the, the episode I've, we've received most feedback on is the episode about um, the, TikTok. oh yeah, we've had, the, we've had a TikTok episode. We've also had a, um, a dance videos episode. So as Amari was mentioning yesterday, um, the, you know, the, the videos with the red brick wall in the background with the gimbal going, woo. <laughs> <laughs> So we really want to um, meet our audience where they are and where they're most familiar with, and in, but still have rigorous debates and rigorous discussions about the work that we're seeing. So, well, when Hannah asked me, she's like, "Do you want to do this thing?" I said, "Yes," but Claire's coming with <laughs> because we have the best time. And I don't know if anyone here's heard of Frameform before or has already subscribed. Um, yay! Awesome, um, but I do think it's probably one of my favorite projects because it's very flexible and we do get to get really in the cracks on certain things that we wouldn't do at a festival. Um, and we have about 15 to 20 episodes per season. We couldn't do like a two week festival and have everyone stop their lives and talk about all these different topics. So this is much more um, you know, consumer friendly but also helpful for us as producers to really plan it out. Um, I really, you know, like I said before, education is really important to me. I think it's like a pathway into creating a life that you want and the answers are out there and not everyone can have like a formal education um, or afford it. Um, and there's so many great resources um, available or online courses and I think that Frameform is just another one where people can have a very accessible entry point to understanding what screen dance is or what it could be. Some of my favorite episodes are definitely those cultural um, kind of deep dives. Um, particularly, I really liked our TikTok episode because we not only got into the form and like those sorts of technical things, but we also got into ownership and we got into like the legalities and how scary the internet is and stealing. Um, and all those things are very much not things like I really want to focus on in my life from an artistic standpoint, but I think they're really important to discuss as they kind of take over the mental and the just the cultural landscape um, as someone that works with a lot of youth it's it's kind of scary <laughs> to just see like uh, people sometimes developing in a way that's not mindful and just trusting technology so much so I definitely enjoy those episodes where we kind of unpack and maybe talk about some more controversial things and I'm sure that uh, I don't know if it's come across in this panel but I'm definitely I think it's important to be willing to kind of say those things that might teeter on controversial so we can kind of 
get a better understanding about it. So I really love Frameform for that. Um, I don't want to ramble, so let me just make sure I'm not missing anything. Yeah, I think that's all I want to say about um, the education piece and then just bridging into our next topic. Like, one of my favorite films of all time that we've ever screened at my festival or that we talked about on Frameform was one that Robin was actually in um, called Uprooted because it's such a great example. And I think an issue we sometimes have is how to intersect with, you know, take this form seriously enough to take an academic approach and treat it respectfully at the level it deserves, but also make it accessible enough for people that it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm not worthy and I can't participate in this conversation. Um, because that's not how we grow, and there are so many different disciplines that are part of this that we have to be open um, to receiving those people. So I just really love that a film like Uprooted, for example, is just the epitome of something that has all the history, all the amazing dance knowledge that we were hungry for, and I'm sure those of you that have festivals here were like, oh yeah, I screened that too, because it was like the best film ever, aside, I mean, in addition to West Side Story, um, the new one. <laughs> we can talk about that later. But um, you know, just that overlap of market accessibility and relevancy, but also serious subject matter. And I think that that's part of why we're here, is like how to find those areas to make things work so we can have that audience and, and keep things growing. I just have to create some context. Okay, so for me, to actually have to say that representation matters, right, of course it does. And perhaps it didn't matter to other people before, but it's always mattered to me as I live in this body right here, right, occupying spaces um, that otherwise people like me wouldn't, wouldn't occupy. So um, to that end, since I was 14 years old, I'm, I'm gonna be 60 this year. Since I was 14 years old, I never had um, an educator or someone standing in front of me who looked like me. As I began to dance, there were very few examples of stories and voices and, and people um, in these spaces. I have been other and otherized like most of my adult life. But actually that's a good thing because I know that by being in this space, I'm here because of all of the things that people have done um, and lived in spaces before me, right? So I am a reflection of my family and my ancestors and my culture. And so for me to actually be in these spaces, I know that representation matters. My job is to start conversations that helps other people understand that there are lots of different ways of being in bodies and being in spaces. So my festival, um, the fact that I actually like have to say this in writing, like I'm really interested in uh, stories about race, place, and identity. Um, you know, screen dance is a hybrid form, so being able to be sort of intersectional and occupy multiple identities is really important. It is bred into the form, and so that's sort of like my jam. That's what I do, and I say it out loud. And it's when I wake up, and I'm really proud. I'm proud of who I am, and I'm a proud of the fact that my festival endeavors to bring those voices into the fore, right? That, that remind people that we're here and remind people that there are multiple ways of being in our spaces, space and place, right? And that the multiple bodies, the early films that I saw, like I've been doing this for however long and I never saw anybody, I thought screen dance was basically like, sort of like for other people, like I never saw anyone who looked like me, and I never saw those stories being told. So I'm interested in, 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 um, sort of out loud in a very sort of conscious way, uh, 
finding spaces and finding those voices and bringing them into my festival. And so how do I do that? I, I, um, I call out folk. Um, I offer waivers, lots of people know this about me now, so Kelly will send me films. She's like, they might not be right for our programming, but you know, check this guy out. I'll like, you know, stalk him, track him down. I offer waivers, and so I do programming that sort of will highlight the diverse bodies that exist in the world and diverse stories, both in front of and behind the camera, because it's not just about seeing and being seen, but it's about the telling of the story and the voices. So that's kind of why representation has always mattered, not just as a function of our racial reckoning is happening now, but it's always mattered. I just enjoy the fact that we get to kind of talk about it in a very um, uh, conscientious way now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, 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 so um, I think that this also um, ties into um, what areas of current practices of um, screen dance presentation and discussion are and aren't accept, uh, accessible. 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 <laughs> Sorry, good morning. Um, <laughs> and um, which ones, um, and in what ways that we might not quite understand are they not? Um, for example, I'm, I'm neurodivergent, and so I love, I mean, I love long events like this where I can get a lot of information, but it also does require pretty intense self-regulation in order to really sustained throughout the day. And likewise at festival events and festival screenings, like they're usually just, you know, packed one right after the other, which for certain people that can be incredibly overwhelming. And not to mention a lot of these spaces are not ADA accessible or do not have do not have audio descriptions or do not have uh, subtitling. Like I remember um, I was working with a deaf dancer and I felt embarrassed that that was the time I had to ask, do you, what do, how do I subtitle music? Like, what's, what's that process? So I think that each, each event or each, um, words, um, each method of, <laughs> of discussing and uh, screening this work um, does require a lot of reflection on the part of um, who's presenting it. I look at accessibility also as I like, I want the work to be accessible. So for me, I think I mentioned before, it was the audience being accessible or the work being accessible to audiences. And for me, going into this, um, you know, my goal was, or one of my goals was, how do I, how can I, little old me, uh, serve the dance community? Um, how can little old me, other than bring all my non-dancers one by one to a show to expose them to, to dance, how can I kind of make a bigger impact on that um, kind of endeavor? Um, I always say, and you may or may not agree, I think it's not that people don't like dance, it's that they don't know it because they're not exposed to it. So my goal is eyeballs. I want to, I want eyeballs. I want eyeballs on these works. I want eyeballs um, to see um, how diverse the work can be. Um, I'm interested in the internet space because I can reach eyeballs across the world. Um, I think it's really important that, um, you know, we make non-dancers into dance lovers. So I think that's really, really important. And I think the internet space is kind of the, or was the uncharted uh, territory for that. And I think we're still working on it. I think 
with every um, filmmaker, and I did the same thing. I stalk people. I'm like, hey, I, I you know, I came across your film, and uh, I would like, would you consider, uh, you know, submitting to me? And um, I think with every filmmaker, you bring a community of family, you bring a community of friends, you bring a community, their local kind of grassroots audiences into the fold. That's the theory. So I, I believe that I'm still kind of working towards that, but I think with making the work accessible, um, I think it's I think it's important for it to be for the work to be seen. And I also just want the work to be seen. I want all so much work goes into dance. So much work goes into dance film, whether it's a small piece or a bigger piece or a, a really big piece. I think it deserves to be seen. And um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I'm bringing a meaningful, I'm, I'm bringing meaningful, you know, I'm a meaningful part of the conversation. You are. So. Right. You are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, this big bucket of strategies, lots of these overlap, of course, but a couple other things we did want to touch on, and I'm going to see to other people to talk about this more, um, is meeting people where they are. I think my festival is pretty self-explanatory. You have students in the classroom, and you can make them watch this film and do a lesson on it. But um, Robin, I think I'm going to turn to you about um, okay, so meeting people where they are, for me, meant, um, I kind of touched on this earlier, this idea of not uh, necessarily conforming to traditional festival formulas for screening. So we have a kind of progressive party. I think that um, there's a sense of, of, of being in our bodies in the ways in which we consume screen dance. So I um, screen films in alternate spaces, um, gallery spaces, um, interactive spaces. Um, they move, they, they rotate and, and, and kind of revolve around sort of a time structure. So people are moving, it's kind of like a, a not even a party, but it's um, people are allowed to uh, engage in the body. Because one of the things that I found in early iterations of my festival was that people were sitting in a dark room you know, like watching this embodied experience and they didn't quite know what to make of it. And I had a friend say, I don't know what I'm looking at. Like, I don't know how to process this. Like, what is this? Do you know what I mean? Like, and then we spend 20 minutes talking and I thought, what would happen if we were doing that in between screenings or during screenings? So I try to create a space that is a little bit more fluid in the ways in which people consume the work um, and ask questions and engage with one another. So it's not about me, but it's about kind of engaging with the, with the community. If we're talking about building community, then the community is beginning as they're consuming the work, not after, and not simply sort of sitting um, in the audience. And so I, that's also my kind of way of meeting people where they are in that, you know, if you create a fluid embodied space to consume an embodied product, even though it's filmic, perhaps, um, Perhaps they're just engaged with it in a different way. And honestly, by keeping it small, I think we've been relatively successful at that. And that people, I get a new kind of clientele and demographic all the time because it, there's a vibe. It's, it has a kind of a vibe. Yeah. Something I started doing this year is so I, I'm the first person that I do not like dance competitions. I, for two years, I was a director through Youth Protection Advocates of Dance for kind of the countercultural dance competition where we actually screened music ahead of time and provided feedback on costumes and artistic choices. And this year, I partnered with a dance competition in, uh, in Canada, in my home state of British Columbia, well, province of British Columbia, 
Um, I also say y'all now. <laughs> that has happened. I have changed. Um, but I partner with a dance competition, and we're screening like short clips, um, or in some cases, short films during longer breaks. It's not ideal, and I understand that there's you miss the conversation and when I do screen in a festival environment conversation and screening always go together with frame form I mean those show notes are packed it's basically like a like a follow-along screening um, but this was a, a choice I made to meet people where they are and going back to one of Autumn's first points like I think if we wait until students are in university and college it's already too late um, it's kind of scary to, to hear teenagers that are like 13 and 14 uh, talking about, I mean, good for them, but they're so stressed and they're, they're looking at kind of crushing their dreams already. And I really support like an entrepreneurial approach. And I think that part of meeting people where they are is um, sometimes willing to do like the job thing and then do the artistic thing. Um, and sometimes you might have to be uh, your own investor for it. But, you know, in some cases I really find like there are more opportunities than we maybe want and maybe we don't get to make our film or screen like our optimal artistic pinnacle that we want but by doing these other things that hopefully don't uh, conflict with our values too much on a deep level um, we're actually able to facilitate the other work and be our own investor um, you know as someone that when it started dance cinema by myself as a student i didn't have a friend that I was like, oh, let's do a nonprofit together. Um, I was just like, I'm going to be a sole proprietor and figure it out. And I really, I, I talk to young people a lot about that, saying like, hey, like you can do this and you can slowly make it work. And I think that meeting people where they are means also being willing to maybe go out of the way from what is a, your own comfort zone or, you know, not to be so like exclusive about things and precious. I think that's something I maybe did at the beginning, the first few years of what I did, and I realized like, wow, I can really attract more people to this art form, especially if I open up the age, gra the age gap. Um, yeah, so I just, I just encourage everyone like, you know, we've even got some, some a baby and, and, a, and a teenager, or I don't know how old you are, but we've got, you know, Katrina's daughter in the audience, you know, like young people have dreams and like they already start kind of tapering them down as they get older and I think that the sooner we can get to audiences the better and part of doing that is opening what we're showing as well. Yeah I loved I think it was Kara's quote yesterday there's no such thing as selling out in screen dance <laughs> um, but I actually wanted to tie this into something Jen that you did at your festival last year which was um, have uh, conversations between each screening and really facilitating kind of an open dialogue where everyone was on the same playing field. So people who were both experienced with the form and young people, very young people, who were just experiencing it. But everybody, everybody had a say. Everybody's um, everybody's perspective uh, was valid and it was considered. And I think that that was a way to show people that they do have a voice in this form, and that's you know primarily what accessibility is, showing that you know someone else has a voice in the conversation. And I also wanted to mention, and I thought Ami, your uh, workshop yesterday was so wonderful, and something else that Dan Cinema did last year was bring in um, a somatic practitioner before the screenings. Thank you for mentioning. To ground, to ground the audience, to really get in their bodies and um, feel where they were at that moment in order to receive the work. So really creating space for an individual experience of that work. I totally forgot about that, so thank you for mentioning it. 
and I'm going to have a, like a mixed bag of things to say at the end because we've got five minutes on the clock. And um, I just wanted to uh, talk about when I originally made Film Fest by Rogue Dancer, I intended for it to be kind of a disruptive force to get dance in front of new eyeballs. I know we've talked about eyeballs already. Um, but in that sense, it's, it's so that people could watch in their own time, in their own space, with their own snacks, with their own people, with their own conversations, with their own, that is the intent. So, um, you know, and again, we're still kind of working towards that. I think probably a little bit of that is happening. Um, I love the conversation. So first of all, let me just say, I am a super fan of Frameform. When it came out, I just thought it was such a beautiful, beautifully curated event that educated me as someone who watches a lot of dance films. I was able to listen to the podcast and go through the notes and watch everything and I would have conversations by myself with them. I'm kind of a little, I'm a little bit introverted so I get a little nervous about, you know, being in groups and having a conversation. So I think that the private conversations is really, really valuable. I don't necessarily want to be the person, the, the talking head on Zoom. Um, when we have the conversations and watching the festivals, but I am really interested in the conversation. So the goal is to really kind of get people to generate their own, their own, have their own feelings. I mean, the thing about art is, you know, you have to consume a lot of it to kind of know what works for you, what doesn't, what you'd like to try, what, you know, I, I think to be an educated or consumer of art, you just, you just have to be in it um, and have your own conversations about it. Um, and I want to move right into like the frequency and rhythm, is that okay? Um, and I think, you know, people are creatures of habit. I've worked with a lot of tiny little, little dancers, and they have to know what's going to happen from minute to minute to minute. And I kind of think that we get more um, eloquent and more sophisticated, but I still think that there's a little bit of that in us as, as we're adults. So I think that um, people are, and, and people are super, super busy, and they need to plan ahead. They need to know that something's going to happen, and if they want to do something delightful, like go to a dance film festival or see some dance, they have to plan for it. So I think a rhythm, a rhythm in the programming of dance film works is really important, whether it's once a year, whether it's um, every month, like I do it. So um, I think that uh, a consistency is key because we can't always go searching. We can't always, I miss a lot of stuff sometimes and I get very frustrated. I'm like, oh, I just didn't, I didn't plan for that. I didn't carve time out of my busy schedule to, to make that happen. Because I'm also a person with a J-O-E um, <laughs> and I, I do all of this in the cracks of my life between motherhood and, you know, work and, and family and all that stuff. Um, so I think that's what I had to oh, say about I'm going to quickly say yes. something on that point. I'll never forget the first time I quote unquote met Robin over Zoom. We were, <laughs> I just say this every time, but I have to share it in case you haven't heard it. Um, and she was like, I'm just doing this from my kitchen table. And I was like, we all are. A lot of us are. And I just love that independent spirit. And, you know, um, we're going into questions pretty soon. But Autumn, do you want to say anything? I just have to like share the kitchen table because it's so good. Um, so I know we've jumped around a bit, but I just wanted to, um, before we jump into questions from our panelists, if there are any other real success stories or things that have happened in your work that you go, okay, we're doing it. We're finding these, these other audiences. One really cool opportunity that came my way, thanks to Los Angeles Dance Film Festival, was actually, is Erin Granite here? 
Yay! So, so you worked with Elizabeth Wadium, right? Of course. Yeah. So your film, Elemental, was one of three that was picked from Standard Vision, and I didn't, I didn't suggest. I wasn't like pick this one, but they loved it. So a film from Wisconsin um, was on this big <laughs> screen in downtown LA, four stories high, um, for like three months like all summer and then they threw a really cool party at the end and I was like what did I do <laughs> I was like this is awesome so I think like that was probably like you know a lot of my story has been like charging things on my credit card and like trying to make it work and like doing all the jobs and doing all the things and that was just such a good karmic experience where I was like oh like finally I catch a break and something really cool happens and I think it's just kind of a cool full circle moment that I saw your name on there I was like I think that's like Elizabeth Williams collaborator um, so definitely shout out to Standard Vision. And I just find that like doing the public screen was a lot less invasive than doing like a dance performance. You know, that's just like my introvert personality coming out. But that's probably one of my, my bigger success stories for sure. My success stories is just, you know, I'm constantly moved by where I'm getting my films from. You know, they're global, they're from all over the place. Every month I, I have a festival and I've got Films from Africa and Sweden and America and Canada and, and just it just it just it's just all it's all inspiring to me. Um, and with that, I I love having conversations with the filmmakers. Like I love reaching out and talking and and you know talking about my festival and and, and giving people opportunities to kind of share with it. And I give out a lot of waivers myself and I stalk people and. Um, and to me, that's huge. I mean, I, and I love it that pe other people, people in my circles, are also noticing the globalness of this film festival. So I hope that um, I just hope that's a, a we're on a good trajectory to uh, having some longevity. The dance department at the University of Wisconsin Madison, where the symposium was held, is one of the oldest in the United States and was the training ground for many luminaries in dance such as Anna Halperin. I was honored to be able to share research in such a historical institution about a topic I have been passionate about for years. Here is an excerpt of that presentation. So when I was growing up, um, one of my favorite things to do was to go join my mom or join my dad and go to my grandparents' house to uh, to quote unquote help them clean up. Um, I don't really, I think help is a bit of a generous term for that, but I loved just being able to sift through items and imagine where they might have been, where, um, what worlds that they saw and what world, who, who held them and who moved through the world with them. And uh, growing up, um, I guess if you uh, saw my room, you'd think I'd uh, be aspiring to be a um, professional hoarder of any kind, but I saved just about everything. I saved, um, I saved syllabus still by from school. I saved all kinds of magazines. And most importantly enough, I saved a whole bunch of dance programs. And I was very obsessive about saving dance programs specifically because when I was growing up in really in the San Francisco Bay Area, I was told that dance didn't really happen here. There really, and maybe this was a consequential of being an hour outside of well, where things might have been happening in San Francisco, but I was told that the history of this forum really was seen through a New York lens. And this was something that was internalized when I continued to go to college and learn dance history and really learn about the important figures who shaped New York dance, but not really anything outside of that. 
And as I got into the screen dance world, I came, became much more interested in the history of it, and specifically was interested in just how fragmented that history was. There were events that were saved and preserved, but there were also very conspicuous gaps in that. And so, being curious and um, apparently having more time than I do right now, um, I went to the Museum of Performance and Design in San Francisco and uh, found a brochure for a San Francisco Dance Film Festival. Now, I thought I knew everything about dance film. I worked for the San Francisco Dance Film Festival, and there in the same folder was a program dated 1976. And I looked through this program, and I looked through the programs of the subsequent editions, and I saw that the, uh, what this festival was presenting was an incredible breadth. The more I learned about this event, and the more I learned about its founder, the more I was struck of the breadth of its offerings. This was a festival that was presenting multi-day screenings and contextualizing these screenings with artists in attendance. Mm -hmm. And this was an event where each edition had a clear and distinct curatorial focus and provided a survey of where dance film was at the time and where it could be. And this is an event that currently now lives in a file folder in Bay Area Museum archives and as a series of um, really shoddily scanned PDFs on my phone. Over the course of this presentation, I'm going to track the history and development of Low Mountain College's San Francisco Dance Film Festival, and I will um, attempt as best as I can to situate the festival within the context of the histories of the San Francisco dance community, the West Coast experimental film movement, and interdisciplinary collaborations between the two. I will also argue that not only through its curatorial approach, but also through its operation as a festival, the, the significance of this event the significance of its curatorial approach and the significance of event that was being presented through a school and as a little later by many students. So the history of film in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area actually starts right at the very beginning of film history when um, former Stanford governor uh, slash robber baron slash uh, university founder Leland Stanford hired Edward Moybridge to take images of his horse and through then, this, uh, the juxtaposition of those images resembled something akin to movement. Now, post-World War II, uh, the uh, curator Frank Stoffaker presented regular screenings of experimental films and avant-garde cinema in the San Francisco Bay Area. On Friday nights, film lovers, filmmakers, and artists gathered at what a San Francisco Museum of Art, known as SFMOMA, and these screenings were often accompanied by the creators of this work and short notes and handouts for each films. These screenings not only created an audience for experimental and avant-garde cinema in San Francisco, but they also laid the groundwork for similar work to be created in the area. It was through this program that Maya Darren's work was screened, and both her films and writing had significant influence on the West Coast experimental film movement that followed. Filmmakers such as James Broughton and Sam Brackage have cited her work as influence, with Brackage actually calling her the mother of us all. And soon, uh, artists from other disciplines followed. Movement artists such as Anna Halprin and Wellen Lathrop began to collaborate with artists such as James Broughton. Some participants even began to set their own theories and manifestos for movement-based collaboration and practice. And one, of, one pairing that emerged from this was the collaborative work of Cindy Peterson and Marion Van Tyle. So Marion Van Tyle was a choreographer who founded the dance department at Mills College in Oakland, California, and a staunch supporter of dance not only in the Bay Area, but nationwide. She edited the Impulse Annuals of Contemporary Dance, 
uh, which contained annual writings, including some writings on dance film, and even an entire issue related to dance in the screen media in 1960. She collaborated on multiple films with Sidney Peterson, who was an avant-garde filmmaker and uh, who eventually founded one of the first filmmaking courses in experimental cinema in the United States, and created two films uh, featuring dance. Their first film, Horror Dream in 1946, features a scene following a dancer through a bunch of surrealist experiences. Featuring an early score from John Cage, the camera's gaze is reminiscent of sleep paralysis, as if one is caught in a nightmare but cannot look away. The film, Clinic of Stumble, seen here, utilizes double exposures of uh, some of Marion Van Tyle's dancers, uh, creating a choreography with the images overlaid on top of one another. Joseph Gelmas from Newsday wrote, it's an astonishing little dance film because the film and the dance are neither, the film and the dance are indivisible. Neither could exist without the other. Um, and I actually learned uh, through my ACD workshop this past weekend that she also found, was the first president of ACDA. So, yay history. <laughs> Come the 1950s, uh, Frank Stoffaker unfortunately passes away at a very young age. Uh, I believe he was 38 when he passed. But there, were, um, there was enough groundwork for uh, enthusiastic followers to take over. Now, thanks to uh, the collaborative team of Roger Fargallo and Jay Marks, uh, they continued Frank's legacy of not only pro providing uh, curated screenings, including uh, specific screenings based on dance films, but they also uh, collaborated on um, both video and light um, mediated performances. Now, you'll see on the picture on the right-hand side in the top corner, is an, um, a drawing of a clavelux machine. So essentially, it's an organ that, for lack of a better word, plays light. Um, Roger Farragallo actually um, reconstructed this organ from scratch and created um, multiple light shows with Jay Marks as choreographer. Um, I also want to mention that Roger Farragallo designed his own website. He just turned 98. He is a delight to talk to. Um, we also have... Um, the emergence of video collectives uh, that are usually tied to the emergence of counterculture in the San Francisco Bay Area. One of these collectives uh, entwined with this was Video Free America, which is run by Skip Sweeney and Joanne Kelly. Yeah. <laughs> now their work included a hybrid live dance and media work, and they combined video and performance to minimize the separation of the two and create something unique in that moment. More initiatives continue to emerge, such as KQED experiment, uh, the KQED Experiment Project, which is later known as the National Center in Experiments for Television Initiative, which was an initiative that emerged from a series of workshops to um, give artists a laboratory to uh, combine different fields with video art. Now, most of these were in a video form, and believe it or not, screened on public television, but some of them also took the form of installations, such as Don Howitt's Videola, which we will talk about later. We also have, and I fully credit Kara Hagen for this one, um, the screening of a series of films known as the Kinesis Screening through an initiative called Battery Plum. So uh, initiated by Millicent Hodges and Pat B.B. Clark, this is a, Battery Plum was an interdisciplinary event featuring a screening of films meant to, quote, analyze the function of dance in American culture and contrast the medical, ritual, and social functions still vital elsewhere. And the screening was accompanied by detailed program notes and features films with artists such as Anne Halperin, Catherine Dunham, and Maya Darren, and Ed Dweiler. 
institutions began to take notice and incorporate this into their curriculum. Now, Lone Mountain College uh, was a college uh, in San Francisco founded in 1898 and was known as the San Francisco College for the Women uh, in, for the majority of its lifespan. It became co-ed in 1969, at which time it assumed the name Lone Mountain College and replaced its liberal arts focus with a less traditional new wave curriculum. This extended to the dance program, which was founded in 1975 and offered courses not only in modern, but also contemporary forms such as contact improvisation, which really had only developed in earnest a few years prior. By 1978, even though the population of the college was dwindling, 25% of Lone Mountain students were taking courses in the dance program, and the program was attracting artists from all across the country. This department was also facilitating multimedia collaboration. In 1976, De uh, dance professor Deborah Mangum collaborated with Lone Mountain's video department on a live video dance event pre uh, performed at the Saramonte Mall in Daly City, California, a very small, foggy city just south of San Francisco. Um, this performance featured five dancers encircled by monitors with video taken by a moving camera person manipulating six movement phrases. The audience was about allowed to move freely through the dance and at times the camera person would leave her camera and assume the positions of a dancer. This is the work that exemplifies the experimental attitude of a department that was looking to push the interrelationship of dance and the media even more. Another person that um, the department attracted was someone by the name of Lenwood Sloan. Now, uh, Lenwood Sloan has a, um, even before 1970, he has such a laundry list of um, people he worked with, people he danced with, people, uh, organizations he's associated with, that it would probably take a good few hours to name them all. But in short, he grew up in Pennsylvania, danced with the, both the Philadelphia Jazz Ensemble and Pennsylvania Ballet. He then studied dance at Temple and further uh, continued his studies at the Graham School in Alvin Ailey and established himself as a touring performer with Mary Vigman's last company, as well as the Joffrey Ballet. He served as an assistant to Gerald Arpino, Arpino uh, which brought him to the Bay Area in 1971. An injury in a car accident and an extended stay in SF Medical San Francisco, sorry, San Francisco Medical Facilities led to a longer tenure in the Bay Area where he, like many of us, wore many hats. As a choreographer, as a historian, and as an educator. He eventually landed at the San Francisco Arts Commission as the dance coordinator for their neighborhood arts program. And given that his injury limited his mobility as a performer, he began to show films of dance in order to educate non-dance oriented audiences. He eventually became the professor at Lone Mountain College and taught a Dance History II course, continuing to utilize film dances as teaching tools for his students. According to the 1976 Dance Film Festival, a new quote, a nucleus of energy from the class through consistent and collective, consistent and collective exchange of ideas, research and communication led to an idea these films should be shown in, pub, in a public facing event. And thus the festival was born. So the first edition of uh, the Dance Film Festival took place in 1976 and uh, was presented in a way that mimicked how Sloan would teach a dance history class. Now, although the films themselves were curated by the teachers, the evenings were curated by the students. And indeed, the students had a big role in shaping how this festival was run. They um, not only aided in, um, in coming up with the programs, but they also ran front of house. They also participated in marketing. They learned how to run the projector. They learned how to, um, how to attend to guest artists who were visiting the festival. 
And it really wasn't only, honestly, until the MA in Screen Dance was formed a few years back that students have such a hand-on experience in putting on a festival event. And Sloan himself mentioned that he's trying to create entry-level jobs and was mostly disappointed with the management and wanted to keep training presenters in order to keep the form alive. And I also want to mention that for the first two editions of the festival, the students were also compensated. And while many of the films were New York films, he utilized speakers who were based locally but may have performed uh, with, or either performed or were significantly associated with the work that was shown. One of his goals in doing this was saying, we don't have to look to New York to learn these techniques. Everything we have is right here. Now, the films themselves um, are mostly performance capture type films, featuring the full body or continuously cut, um, continuously cut captures but notable exceptions are films shown in the Ritual program. I will blow this up later. Um, particularly Dream of the Wild Horses, which is a, features a slow motion, um, series of slow motion images of wild horses um, running through um, not only water, but fire. Um, I have no idea how ethical that was. But um, Sloan mentioned we showed, we showed these crowds and these uh, groups running around the field to talk to our audience about Canisphere. So we try to introduce these shorts to introduce ideas of the choreographers working with effort shape, the choreographers working with kinesphere, this choreographers working with music visualization. So utilizing the films to teach maybe a layman audience how the, uh, some of the building blocks and what to consider when watching choreography. Upon the success of the first festival, the event was repeated for a second edition, featuring four evenings of tributes to four artists that Sloan considered to be significant in dance at the time. Catherine Dunham, Robert Joffrey, Alan Ailey, and Alan Nikolai. Sloan's um, initiative behind the event was as follows. Quote, I tricked my icons into coming into San Francisco, bringing their personal film collection and allowing me to interview them on stage. In other words, he presented in-depth evenings, presenting some of his idols in dance, and did not have to pay for the licensing of films. Uh, though this might be uh, dubiously ethical, um, the structure of the evenings continued to allow an audience to learn about these performers from multiple angles. Video interviews with the likes of Catherine Dunham and live in-person interviews with former members of these companies further off offered multiple dimensions through which to view these choreographers and their works. Now, the third festival was a significant departure from the first two. Before the second festival had even been staged, Sloan had a deal in place with the San Francisco Museum of Art, which presented the Art and Cinema series, to host the third iteration of the event uh, on the premises of the museum. Um, this event was one of the first comprehensive surveys of Bay Area dance film and other intermedia collaboration. And curatorially, since it was in tandem with uh, SFMOMA curatorial teams, it was also uh, significantly different than the others and was leaning more towards interdisciplinary work. The event actually opened with an uh, evening devoted to Marion Bantile, whose film uh, Clinic of Stumble, uh, whose film collaboration with Clinic of Stumble with Sidney Peterson we saw earlier today. And um, it opened with filmic captures of her choreography as well as uh, her film collaborations and closed with commentary from Bantile herself. More programs were screened uh, featuring dances specifically created with the camera, both historical dances uh, from the early, from the early, uh, from the, sorry, the late 19th century, as well as more quote contemporary dances such as uh, Well and Lathrop's Triptych from 1950, 
as well as uh, capture of Anna Halpin's Parades and Changes from 1965, filmed by Arna Arvinson, which I just discovered is screening downstairs. I've been trying to find that one for a long time. Um, however, one of the standout events and the, um, the program I include here was the Metakinesis Preserve, which was a, uh, which was a departure from traditional film screenings and focused more on um, filmic installations. Now this is one of the earliest uh, programs where I actually see the term video dance, and not only that, just a term uh, defining video dance as a new frontier for the choreographer and technician. So this event um, featured a variety of presentations such as Don Halleck's Videola, which was produced through the National Center for Experiments in Television through KQED, which I also mentioned earlier. Now, through this, um, a select number of select audience members could actually look at a light show that essentially threw this wooden cone and see um, the light that was being projected from uh, a variety of television screens. Additionally, uh, the event also had interactive uh, video, live video relays with festival participants, including Thermography by Richard Lohenberg where audiences could actually walk and interact with their own infrared image and play with the image that followed. This festival, the 1978 festival, can be seen as an attempt to survey the breadth of screen dance and other dance media collaborations of the San Francisco Bay Area. And the final pages of the program that indicated that there was a planned fourth edition. However, that fourth edition never happened. Arts organizations of any kind operate on tenuous grounds, and screen dance festivals are little exception. Um, Blaise Perry notes in his article, Life and Death of the Screen Dance Festival, that festivals are tied so closely to the lives of founders, directors, and staff that even slight changes to job situations and sociopolitical events can have an effect on the operation of the festival. Believe me, I know. There are also other uh, factors that led to its dissolution. And one of the major ones was the acquisition of Lone Mountain College by the University of San Francisco. So in 1978, Lone Mountain College was acquired by the University of San Francisco and its facilities were moved into the athletics program. Now, according to Lenwood Sloan's observations, the Jesuit Catholic institution was not wholly approving of the activities of the dance department and thus did little to preserve the growth of it that happened until that point. A changing arts ecosystem is nothing new, and a combination of factors would bury Sloan's contribution to the San Francisco dancing to a collection of folders and archives. The passing of archivist Russell Hartley, who uh, greatly contributed to the last two editions of the festival, passed away in 1983, leaving a, a city and a dance scene without its historian. This was also further complicated by the decimation of the San Francisco arts community by way of AIDS and the subsequent rise of technological industries paired with the accompanying high costs of living. That meant that the days of free-spirited creation and collaboration were over. Well, not entirely over, but it's, it's a lot harder now. <laughs> now, that's obviously not the end of dance in the Bay Area. And that's not the end of uh, dance film or dance, dance and technological collaboration in the Bay Area, but the story of this festival is one I believe that should be told. Not only in terms of its curation, but also in terms of the forces that both created and ended. And understandably, I mean, totally, totally understandably so, festivals do face a lot of criticism for methods of curation that sometimes box films into a specific type, but festivals themselves are also reflective of the time that they, they lived in. And they were also reflective of, they're also artifacts of a history that deserve to be 
remembered and deserve to be looked back on. I believe it was Kara said a few days ago, it's so easy to tear things down and we see that fate of Lone Mountain really now being echoed again with Mills College, the school that Marion Van taught at and now has been acquired by um, Northeastern University. So there's a lot of dance history that's going to be folded into a big, a huge institution and who knows what they're going to do with it. But it really is upon everyone to keep this history alive and really keep this history visible. And again, Kara Hagen has done an incredible job of, of has put an incredible amount of labor into making so many of these histories visible. And again, I can't recommend this book enough to, as a good starting point. And I also recommend that we keep adding to this book. We keep adding the histories that we might not, not even know yet. We keep digging through those archives. Um, I will see to it that each piece of this festival is kept these notes, these slides, in printout form. I uh, will see to it, and I hope that you do too, that they continue to be seen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this peek into the Screen Dance Symposium and that the next event is soon. Thank you again to the University of Wisconsin at Madison, Douglas Rosenberg, and each person who attended and made the experience so memorable and so valuable. Thank you also to Aaron Granite for facilitating tech throughout and for recording the event. Do you love what you're hearing? Do you want to be heard? Send us an email at frameformpodcast at gmail.com and engage with us on social at frameformpod. That's Frameform, P-O-D. If you really love what you're hearing, leave us a review and rate the show. It makes it easier for more listeners to find it. If you want to spread the love, tell your friends to subscribe and keep the conversation going. Thanks for listening.